Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Scootybarger of Story Point Church, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. And now, here's Pastor Jeff Scootybarger for this week's message from Story Point Church. Open your Bibles to Acts. The book of Acts chapter 20, Acts chapter 20. Put your finger in there, because I want to, uh, what I really want to do is I'm going to sing you a song. To everything. All right, now we know how old you are. The rest of y'all are younger than that. Ecclesiastes tells us this. While you're turning to Acts chapter 20, let me read this to you. There is an occasion for everything and a time for every activity under heaven. A time to give birth and a time to die. A time to plant, a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, and a time to tear down, and a time to build, a time to weep, a time to laugh. I like those times. A time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw stones, a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to to avoid embracing, a time to search and a time to count as lost, a time to keep and a time to throw away. Time to tear and a time to sow, a time to be silent, a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time to peace. God, in his infinite wisdom and his infinite sovereignty, appoints seasons and assignments in our life. He is so gracious in this. Now, what I'm about to tell you is going to come as a shock to some of you, but you're not going to be surprised. 19 years ago, God called Shannon and me and then three little teeny kids to First Baptist Church. Little did I know that 19 years later, we would still be here. But God has made it very clear to us that the season that He has us here is coming to a close because we have finished the assignment that He's given to us. I want to take a few moments and I want to unpack this a little bit, what that means for us and what that means for you as a church. Now go ahead and breathe because here's what I know. I know that God never makes mistakes. I know that God is perfect in all of his ways. And what I also know is that when God speaks to us, and I hope you've heard me say this because I've said it a thousand times over the last 19 years and especially over the last two years. When God leads you to something, when God calls you to something, when he asks you for obedience, you have one of two choices. You can either obey or you can disobey. Now here's what I know about God. God doesn't change his assignment for us when we're disobedient. He still has an assignment for us. He just has to put us through a little more pain till we finally realize that, yes, we need to do it. So if we obey what God says, God blesses us. That's actually the only thing God can bless. If we disobey what he says, it causes pain for not only us, but also for the people that we care about so deeply in our lives. And so, church, I want to, if you will, this morning, allow me to unfold how this happened and then show you in Scripture Um, that this is not an abnormal thing. This is not only a normal thing, but listen to me. It is a good thing, okay? 
So, and by the way, my timetable on this, should it be good with the church, is that uh, December 31st is our planned last Sunday. So that's six months away. The reason we are giving so much time is because we're not running from something. We're not leaving something or someone. We're actually running to something and running to someone. We're leaving here to pursue full-time evangelism and missions. Now, everybody go, I'm shocked, right? Because you probably didn't know how passionate I am about evangelism and missions. I know that that totally blows you away, but the truth is, the words of Robert Moffat to his son-in-law, David Livingstone, this was, several, this was 200 years ago plus, his words were these, the smoke from a thousand villages who have never heard the gospel cause me to press on. My passion, the way God wired me, the way God designed me, what I was put on earth to do, was preach the gospel. That's what I was doing before we ever came here. Uh, you may not know this, but after seminary, we, we left seminary and we started this pursuit of full-time youth evangelism. And what that really meant was we traveled around the country to anybody and everybody who would ask us to come. We would do school assemblies and then we'd go back that evening and we would uh, have an event and we would just talk about Jesus and invite teenagers to trust Christ. And we would go to churches and do youth camps and all that stuff. We did that for six years full-time. And boy, I'll tell you, you learn faith when you do not have a regular income. unless. And, but, but listen... All of that, God used us in that time. And I say, I'm going to say me and I'm going to say we. But every time I say me, I need you to understand, I'm really saying we, as in Shannon, Joshua, Hannah, and Sarah. So the five of us, this has been our journey. When they were little kids, I used to bring them up on stage at youth conferences and everybody would ooh and awe and they would be so cute. And especially, Maybe that's where Sarah learned to love the camera because I would bring this little three-year-old up, blonde, blonde hair, and she would just stand there. And every, It was a great crowd breaker, by the way. So our family has been engaged in, in the gospel forever since, since, since we were a family. And so we did that for six years and then... I got a call from a, uh, uh, a personnel committee out of First Baptist Church, and it went like this. Hey, our pastor left. We're, in, in, we're in battled in some conflict, but we need somebody just to preach for the next four weeks. So if you'll come and do that, that would be great. So my first Sunday here was the Sunday before Hurricane Ivan hit, which was in September of 2004. And I'll tell you, before I even stood up onto the platform to preach, I was sitting in the front pew on the very far left-hand side, and God spoke to me, and he said, Jeff, this would be a great church to pastor. And my immediate response was very holy, very godly, Lord, you are nuts. Here's why. Because what I wanted to do was travel the country sharing the gospel with students like I was doing. What I did not want to do was give up six years of building a network of people and finally having doors open to come to a church that was embattled in a, in a, in a, in a fight, really. It was, it was pretty ugly. I mean, it was so bad that there was graffiti on the walls of the church by former church members. I mean, it was, it was, it was, it was a rough place. But God had a plan. And so the moment he spoke that to me, I said that to the Lord. And I said, Lord, you know, this is where you call me. I'll go. But I really don't want to. And after about four weeks, 
the committee said, Jeff, would you entertain being a youth pastor here? And I said, no, that's really not, not where God has stationed me in life, but I would consider being an interim pastor. Highlight the word interim, right? Because interim means you're there for a short time and then you leave. And after about three months, the church said, hey, would you just consider staying? And once again, the Lord said, this is my purpose for you. Here was the biggest question that they had, or this was the biggest concern that they had for me. This is what they stated to me in this conversation. They said, Jeff, our biggest concern is that all you will do is preach the gospel, and you won't actually do anything else. Now, what they were saying was only evangelistic messages, because that was my heart and my passion. And I said, well, I can't promise you that I won't do that all the time, but I can promise you I'll try. Nineteen years later, First Baptist gave birth to Mission Casa and also Story Point, and you see what we have today. I want to say to you, I never dreamed that I would be here this long, not because I didn't want to be, but because I just felt that my calling was different. But what I want you to hear today is this, God places us where he wants us for seasons and assignments. And you must stay as long as your season allows, and you must stay until your assignment is done. Because in that process, what God is doing, he's doing two things simultaneously. He is using you in the place that he has you, so you are needed there for the assignment, but he's also preparing you for use in your next assignment. I can tell you, and it would take a long time to fully flesh this out, but I can tell you that, that when I was 30 years old, I was a big ball of zeal, and I had a little bit of wisdom, but I did not know a whole lot of stuff that I didn't even know I didn't know, right? And so because of the patience and the faithfulness of the church, they allowed me to grow as a man, as a, as a pastor, as a follower of Jesus, I got to experience things that I would never have experienced in any other way, and God softened my heart and basically taught me how to love people, not use people for the mission. Listen, my biggest problem coming here in the first place was that I was so focused on the mission that if you didn't want to get on board, I would go through you, around you, or over you, or in spite of you, because the mission was first. And if you fail enough at that, and if you leave enough dead bodies in your wake, what you realize is that God doesn't ever want you to go through people for the mission, because those people are part of the mission. Can I get a witness? It's about loving the people that you have with you, so that you can together do the work of ministry. In Ephesians chapter 4, the Bible tells us that God established, He appointed Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to do or to, to, uh, to teach the people to do the work of ministry. So an evangelist's job is not to go do evangelism. An evangelist's job is to help the church rise up to do evangelism. One person could never reach as many as a hundred people. And a hundred people could never reach as many as a thousand people. And what I didn't know... I didn't know, but now I do. And so what I'm saying to you is this. I know for a fact, and I'll tell you how it happened if you want to know. Do you want to know? Okay. 
Here's how it happened. By the way, my first inclination was when I first thought of this was to say to you from this stage, listen, this is what God is doing. I want you to pray with me about this. That was my first inclination because I feel like we're a family and I feel like whatever's going on in my life, you should be able to be a part of it and because I'm, I want to be a part of your life and vice versa, right? But I knew that doing that would not be the healthiest thing for you because sometimes we struggle out loud with things we really should struggle with internally until God settles those. Some things are just like that, right? And, and really it's a cop out to put the burden on somebody else and make them wrestle with it. So that was my first inclination, but instead, back in July, so a full year ago, in this very room, we had a group of pastors, the OG pastors, right? We called them ordinary giants, but they were really, really, really the uh, original gangsters, is what we really like to call them. These were nine pastors who sat on this stage, and they had a combined ministry pastoral experience of over 450 years. And we spent... Uh, a whole day having them have conversations about ministry things and about the heart of pastoring and things like that. It's all online. One of the sessions towards the end was how do you leave your church for the next guy? And a guy by the name of Danny Wood was sitting right about here. He was the pastor of Shades Mountain Baptist Church for probably 20 years. And he answered the question in a way that just made my, my head and my heart perk up. He said, I knew that God had called me to, to move to a different season of ministry, and so I developed an, an acronym, S-T-U-F-F. And that was my guide for what to do for the two years it took me to transition out of this church. He said the S is for staff, meaning I had to deal with anything within the staff that needed to be dealt with so that the new guy wouldn't have to deal with it, so that the, the whole team would be unified and together to be able to lead the church where the church needed to go. The T was time. He said, I needed to set a timetable and stick by the timetable based on the health of the church primarily, and I needed to lead them through faithfully and consistently through that timetable so that by the time I left, they were ready for whoever God had purposed for them. He said, the U is unfinished business. It was my job to take care of anything unfinished at the church so that whoever God brings in doesn't have to deal with old stuff. He said, the two final Fs would be finances and facilities. Finances, making sure that we were no longer in debt, making sure that we were on good financial footing so that there's no pressure and stress when the new guy comes. And then facilities, I wanted everything to be without having to do anything else so that they could jump right in and focus completely on loving God's people and reaching the community around them. And listen, as I was listening to that one year ago, July, God just started to say, Jeff, this is what you're doing every single one of these. Now, I don't, I don't know where that came, but oh, I, I just think it was the Lord. And so that started my wheels turning. And I said to the Lord that day, Lord, I think you're doing something in my life. So my answer is yes, but I would like to know what it is. And I just waited patiently for the Lord to reveal it. January 1st comes around. Joshua, Shannon, and me went to meet our two daughters in North Carolina for a couple of days of, of vacation. And on, on our way up there, God introduced us to a friend who shared some, um, some stuff that she was doing, and God just made it click. He said, this is how you're going to accomplish the next mission and purpose that I have in your life. So your assignment is going to use this stuff right here. And over the next couple of weeks, Shannon and I began to walk around the neighborhood every night I got a little skinnier, thanks to the Lord. It was good. 
But Alpha, have you know, I put it all back. It's good. So we walked around the loop every night. And then one particular night, early February, we walked a different route. And I'll tell you, as we walked by the tennis courts on High Point, I heard the Lord's voice very, very clearly say, you're finished. He, actually, I, in my mind, I'm like, it is finished. It, what I heard him say was, your assignment's done. You are released. And I turned to Shannon and I said, God just released us. Now listen, here's what I can tell you. I can tell you that this is not something that we intended to happen. It's not something that we necessarily wanted to happen, except for the fact that what we really want is to be obedient to the Father. Because I've been telling you for 20 years, obedience is what God desires. I've been saying to you that discipleship is simply this, learning to hear and obey the voice of God. And I've been saying to you that God is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask, hope, or imagine. And I've been saying to you that Jesus really is who He says He is. And I've been saying to you that the world is lost and hopeless without Christ. And somebody's got to go and somebody's got to proclaim the gospel. And I've been saying to you, we've got to get outside of the walls and go as far and as long as we can go. Where nobody else will go because the requirement of evangelism is on us, not on somebody else. And I've also said to you that sometimes you don't know the next step, but when God speaks, you just have to take a step and trust that he's going to provide what you need when you need it. And so what I'm now doing is demonstrating that with my life. And I hope that this will encourage you rather than discourage you. Let's turn to the scripture because I want to show you that this is a normal thing. This is a good thing. In Acts chapter 20, verse 17 and following, The scripture says this, Now from Miletus he sent, this is Paul, he sent to Ephesus and summoned the elders of the church. And when they came to him, he said to them, You know from the first day I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, and during the trials that came to me through the plots of the Jews. You know that I did not avoid proclaiming to you anything that was profitable or from teaching you publicly and from house to house. I testified to both Jews and Greeks about repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, verse 22, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, compelled by the Spirit. Look at that. He's compelled by the Spirit, not knowing what I will encounter there. There's an uncertainty there. Except that in every town, the Holy Spirit warns me that chains and afflictions are waiting for me. But I consider, this is the verse I want you to hang your hat on. But I consider my life of no value to myself. My purpose is to finish my course and the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. Paul was a pastor in Ephesus for about three years. And if you know the history of the church at Ephesus, you know that Paul was a pastor for about three years, and then he sent young Timothy to pastor the church for a handful of years. And then church history tells us that John the Revelator, who wrote the book of Revelation, was pastor at the church of Ephesus for a number of years. 
And so this is a, a church with a rich, rich history, a good history. In fact, if you want to take the most perfect epistle to a church, you would take the, the, the letter to the Ephesian church and you would use, if there was only one that you would ever keep, that would be the one you would keep because it's just enough encouragement and just enough um, a challenge that a church could really just, just be healthy for this duration of its life through just that one book. In the book of Revelation, chapter 2, the Bible tells us that the church at Ephesus was one of the seven churches that letters were written to. And the letter says this, essentially, it says, look, I know your deeds. I know you love me. And I know that, um, I know that you hate the practice of the Nicolaitans. But this is the one thing I have against you. You've forgotten your first love. In other words, your love has, has gotten softer or more shallow because you become comfortable where you are. And so Ephesians, the Ephesian church was a powerful, influential church. And notice that Paul was there for a season and an appointment. He, he had a time and he had a place and he had a purpose. But had Paul stayed in the Ephesian church, the Ephesian church would not have been able to grow and impact the way that, he, that they did. But also Paul would not have been able to go on to Jerusalem, but also go on to Rome and then ultimately be able to impact the world in which he impacted them. So Paul deeply loved this people. He deep, if he didn't love them, he wouldn't have stayed three years. But his love for them was only superseded by his love for his passion that he said in Romans chapter 15, verse 20. He said, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel where the gospel is not yet known. That's what drove him. And so he parked himself at Ephesus for a while, but then God said, you've done what you do here, now it's time to go finish the work that I've called you to do. And folks, that's what I'm telling you God is doing in my life and in the life of Shannon. There's a much uh, different kind of ministry that is our next steps. Let me share it with you if I may. Now, I say that with the caveat, okay? The caveat is, this is what I know now. Tomorrow it may change, and it doesn't mean that God changed his mind. It just means that I hadn't heard him correctly, right? And I will tell you this. Sometimes God leads us step by step, and we start out going one direction only to get us moving, and then he moves us in a whole other direction, and I'm perfectly okay with that. To be honest with you, I don't care where God sends us, and I don't care what he does with us. I just want to do what he calls us to do because I consider my life as not for myself, I am dead to me, and every day I'm trying to kill me to me because I want Jesus Christ to rule and reign every fiber of my body. And it's easy to say that. It's harder to do. But as God is my witness, that is my prayer for you, and I can't pray that for you if I'm not willing to obey that myself and in my own life. So here's what I think God is going to do with us. This is, this is a four-pronged four stool, if you will. The first thing is I want to preach the gospel. And I say, keep saying gospel. The gospel of the kingdom includes everything in Scripture, right? What I'm talking about, though, is I want to preach the, the simple, basic truth of the gospel to people who don't yet know Christ. That, there's nothing in my life that I would rather do. There's nothing that brings me more joy and more fulfillment than being in front of a people who don't yet know Jesus and being able to say, God loves you, but you have a problem, and it's that sin has separated you from God. 
But God provided a way through His Son so that if you will repent and believe, He will save you and rescue you from certain death and He'll give you life through Him. And He'll make you a child of the King. And He'll even plant His Spirit inside of you. That is the message. That is the only message that I want to preach. Can you blame me? What other news do we have that's better than that, right? We have good news, by the way, in case you didn't know. And so, so I, the first prong of this, of the stool, is that I'm going to simply ask God to open up doors just to preach the gospel. Primarily, I want to do uh, outdoor events like men's events and, and things at the beach and anywhere there's a crowd. Um, funerals are a great place, by the way, because people are ready to listen. Just that, throw that out there in case you want to preach the gospel somewhere. So that's the first leg. The second leg is this. God has uniquely positioned and qualified me to help younger pastors understand that there's a lot more to pastoring than they learned in seminary. We learned the theology and we learned some of the basics of administration, but we learned nothing about relationships. And we've got a slew of churches in our country that are unhealthy primarily because the leadership is unhealthy. And what I want to do is I want to walk side by side with those who will let me and I want to help them to become 100% healthy so that they can lead their team to be 100% healthy so that they can focus on the mission and the task that God has placed them on this earth to do. That to me is a, something worth giving your life to. The third thing is I want to take those same leadership principles and I want to extend them into the business world. Now I don't know how this one's going to work, but there's a reason I want to teach leadership development in the business world to companies that aren't Christian companies because if I'm in the business world, I'm going to be around people who need to know Jesus. And if I can help them solve some of their business pain, maybe they'll let me in to help them solve some of their spiritual pain as well. So the, it's a means to an end. Some would call that platform evangelism. It's really just a, 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 a biblical process of going where there are people. And I've got something to offer through the business leadership, so that's a, that's a great opportunity. The fourth thing might be the most exciting, though. Did you know that there are over 2.5 billion people in the world that are under the age of 25 who do not yet know Jesus? Let that sink in. Let the weight of that rest on your shoulders. 2.5 billion people in the world under 25 who do not yet know Jesus. First Priority Global has a strategy to change those numbers. They have a strategy and they have a plan. And so I've been in talks with Benny Prophet, the founder of First Priority Global, and I think I'm going to start working with him as a partner to strategize and implement a global missions effort to reach two and a half billion people under 25. Because here's what we believe, and it's true. Whoever wins the next generation, wins. Whoever wins the next generation, wins. We are one generation of believers away from extinction. And that is not God's plan. So those are the four things that I believe God is going to lead us to do. Now, again, it might change tomorrow, but for now, that's the direction we're walking. I want you to see what this says in verse 22. And now I'm on my way to Jerusalem, 
compelled by the Spirit. There's something that drove him to this. Out of ease and out of comfort and out of security. He said, I must go because I'm compelled by the Spirit, not knowing what I will encounter there. Listen, for 19 years, I've known that there would be a paycheck at the end of the month. I've kind of enjoyed that because for the first six years, we literally didn't know from month to month how we were going to feed our children. And I say that because it literally was at the end of the month, we would walk out to the to the mailbox and we would find somebody anonymously put money in there. We still have no idea how that happened, but every month God would do it. The thought of having to go back to the uncertainty thrills me and yet it doesn't thrill me. Let me tell you why. There is a certain sense of thrill when you know that if God doesn't provide, you won't be provided for. There's a certain comfort in knowing that God gets to prove himself mighty and powerful in your life. Listen, you don't need a miracle till you need a miracle, right? But when you see a miracle, what can you do? You get to tell people about the miracle that God provided. So that's the part that I'm looking forward to. But it's awful convenient just to go home and know that there's money in the bank. Y'all following me here? But to obey is better than sacrifice. And to stay would be the height of disobedience. Because here's what I know. God is either truthful or he is a liar. He will either provide or he will not. And if he chooses not to provide, then that's on him, not on us, because we're going to be completely obedient as best we can. And I think God kind of likes the challenge, to be honest with you. Because I think that God is true when he said in Ephesians 3.20, I am able to do immeasurably more than all that you could ask or even think. So I have no doubts. Now you asked me in February and maybe it'll be different, but for now I'm good. So he says there's uncertainties. He knows that there's struggles. The spirit warns of the chains, but listen to verse 24. But I consider my life of no value to myself. I've preached this message a hundred times through different texts, but this is the truth of the gospel. My life is of no value to myself. I do not have the right to say, I'm going to go here and I'm going to buy this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. I no longer have rule and reign over my own life because Jesus Christ is Lord. When you say Jesus is Lord, that means you're saying he is boss, he is master, he is owner. I am now servant and slave to his will. But don't feel bad for me because I got to ride a motorcycle at the ends of the earth, smiling, going, I get to do this. Isn't that right, Tim? I got, listen, when you are dead to yourself and let Jesus live in you and through you, he will open doors you could never open on your own and he will close doors that need to be closed because through those doors is pain for you. God has the ability to give life and give life most abundantly. And the way you find that is through radical obedience. And guys, listen, this, this seems like radical obedience. It's not. It's safe obedience, really. The truth is, 
whatever God is calling you to do next, you will not find the joy of the Lord that He's calling you to and that He wills and desires to give to you until you take a step in obedience. And the moment you do, it's going to be frightful and it's going to be fearful and there's going to be some, some, some shaking. And then you get to say, I get to do this. Amen? Come on, y'all. This is better preaching than you're making it out to be. Listen, there is no other life like radical obedience to Jesus. Man, when you take a step of faith, you go, Lord, I got nothing but you. But guess what? God said that with him, him and you is a majority. Right? Let's put the first in its proper context for, for once. It says, I am crucified with, with Christ, therefore I no longer live, but Christ now lives in me. The life I live on the, in, in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. Right? So whether I live or whether I die, it's Jesus who gets to make the shots. So I consider myself as dead to me, but I'm not dead to him. I'm useful to him. He displays his own glory somehow through this tall, skinny guy. Somehow through this bonehead right here, God says, I'm going to use you for my own glory. And it doesn't matter if it's big or small. It doesn't matter if it's here or there. All that matters is that God chooses to do in me whatever he wants to do because he is Lord. He is Lord. And so I find myself to have no value, but my purpose, the reason I exist, the reason I breathe is to finish my course. Listen, it's like the Tour de France, or excuse me, Tour de France. I've, I, I, you know, that's not a, a one-day race. That's multiple days, multiple legs. And once you finish the first leg, you go back and you rest a little bit, and then you get on your bike and you ride the next piece. What I'm telling you is we finished this leg of the race. And I have no remorse and I have no regrets because we did the best we could do with what we knew. It wasn't always perfect, and it wasn't always right, and there was a whole lot of backtracking going, man, I wish I'd have thought that one through a little bit more. But at the end of the day, this part of the course is done, and I cannot wait to see what the next part of the course is. Thankfully, God has built me as a pioneer to where I like adventure, and I like the new, and I like the uncertain. My wife, on the other hand, was built differently. But I have to tell you, the way that I knew that God had called us for certain is when I said to Shannon, God has spoken to my heart and said, it's time. And she turned and she smiled and she says, okay. Think of the woman that she must be to be able to do that. It's a woman who has joined with me in this mission to reach as many as possible. And so, verse 25 and following, I want to just give you a couple of words. It says, I now know that none of you among whom I went about preaching at the kingdom will ever see me again. Now, let's not go that far, okay? I mean, I'm not dying. I mean, I guess I could, but I'm not planning on it, right? Here's the thing. 
You say, well, what, what are you guys going to do? Well, we're not planning on moving. We have a house. We have a, 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 a station, a base. So we plan to stay right here. We've, we've planted our lives for 19 years in Gulf Breeze, and there's no need to uproot unless, of course, God tells us to. But for now, he's saying stay where you are. In fact, our plan is to stay right here at the church. Now, here's the only way that works. If God calls somebody here, when God calls somebody here, I, we, have to be 100% behind them. So my commitment publicly to you, and I'm going to say this multiple times for the next six months, you can ask me what I think, but I'm not going to tell you. The only thing you will hear from me when God calls somebody here, if we're here, the only thing that I'm going to say is, he's my pastor, and I'm 100% behind him. You're going to get nothing else. And the only thing he's going to get from me is, if he asks me my opinion, I will give it to him. And then I will end it by saying, but I'm 100% behind you whatever you do. The reason is, it's not fair to you and it's not fair to whoever God leads as pastor for me to try to maintain uh, a position when God has clearly ended that season. So if that can happen... We want to stay because you are a family. You're the people we love. Some of y'all I knew when you were a baby. Right? So, so, so the hope is that we can continue encouraging you and being 100% supportive. And I believe that this building can be filled. I believe that God's got somebody better than me. Better at all things they need to be better at for us to grow and for us to thrive. Here's why. There are ministries that depend on us to be there for them. There are ministries that survive because we show up. We've got such an important work to do. Thank God that this work isn't dependent upon me. It's us. Amen? So we've got to continue the work. I'm not leaving, unless, of course, it has to be that way just for the health of the church. So, so we don't have to go that far. But Paul says, I declare to you that at this day I'm innocent of the blood of all of you because I did not avoid declaring to you the whole plan of God. I want to say to you that to the best of my ability, I've taught you everything I can possibly teach you. I've opened the Word and I've shared with you not only the truth of the Word, but hopefully the passion for the Word. And I hope that because of our ministry here, you love Jesus more. And I hope because of our, our time here, you are more passionate about loving people more. And I hope that it spurred you on to do the work that God has called you to do. But there's a warning, verse 28, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. This is serious business. He said, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Men will rise up even from your own number and distort the truth to lure the disciples into following them. Therefore, be on your alert, remembering that night and day for three years, I never stop warning each one of you with tears. The truth is, 
We are in a moment that is a defining moment as a church. This is so important. I can't even stress it enough. The tendency is for us to become disunified and to rise up camps, us versus them. Listen, we got a lot of things to figure out between First Baptist and Story Point and Mission Casa. Make no mistake, we are a complicated church, right? You go find another church that's done this. You won't find it. It's unique and it's complicated and it's different. But God led us to it and therefore He will lead us through it. However, be careful. Because if men try to rise up and take control and build silos and try to run things and rule things, God will let you have it and you'll destroy it. What we need is godly men and women to say, not what I want, but Jesus, what you want. Don't you know that the enemy would, no, would love nothing less than to end what God is doing here? Don't you know that he would, because if that happened, our work at the ends of the earth would stop. If that happened, our work with the homeless would stop. If that happened, our work with the, the women who, who are, 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 are in desperate situations that we work with and we help with, it would stop. It, it maybe wouldn't stop because one or two of us would continue, but together we do so much more than any of us could do just alone. And so I say to you, like Paul said to the Ephesian church, be on your guard for the wolves that will rise up. Men and women who will say, God is the leader and the shepherd of this church. I'm an under-shepherd. I am second or third. God, Jesus, is the Lord here. He always has to be Lord. And if there's ever disagreement, we've got to come before Him and say, Lord, we need to hear from You. And so I think I can beat that horse a little bit longer, but I won't because you get the point. Verse 36 says this. After He said this, He knelt down and prayed with all of them. I want you to know that I am 100% for you. And I'm 100% for Story Point and First Baptist and Mission Casa. And I will never do anything to hurt you. I would rather go penniless than to see there be some damage being done to the body of Christ here. If you can think of it this way, you are my child. I mean, I love you more than I could possibly express in words. I will not do anything but bless us, bless you, bless us, and support. Because the kingdom of God is much more important than any kingdom I might have. He said, there were many tears shed by everyone. They embraced Paul and kissed him, grieving most over... Now, you don't have to do that, by the way. We can just jump... You don't, you, no, no kisses, okay? Except for you. You can kiss me. I pointed to Shannon, just in case, not you, Alan. You, I, know, I know you were thinking, but no, it's, yeah, you, you were puckering up, weren't you? They embraced Paul, they kissed him, grieving most over a statement they would never see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. So we have six months to seek the will of the Lord. I know, because this is just how God does it, 
He's already got this all worked out. Don't you believe that? He's already figured it out. He's got it planned out. He's already moving in the life of whoever it is that God is going to bring here. By the way, you should know that we will have hundreds and hundreds of applications to be pastor here. Here's why. We are a unified church. We have a facility that needs nothing. We have zero debt. Oh, and by the way, we are in Gulf Breeze, which is right next to the beach. We will have our biggest trouble or our biggest uh, uh, wrestling is going to be in being patient and not just jumping at who looks good on paper, but who God has appointed here for the next season and assignment. So church, do you receive this today? Is anybody surprised? Like shocked? I hope not. I hope you know that this doesn't come lightly or easy. I hope you know that I, I'm full of joy, but it's a, it's a tangled joy because I will desperately miss on January 1st having an office that I can come to with a great team that I can come to and, and being able to preach to the same crowd and to be able to share birthdays and stuff like that. But, but obedience is what God calls us to. So here's the question for you. What is God calling you to be obedient uh, in, in your life? What is He calling, how is He calling you to obedience? Can I just, just go ahead and take a step? And by the way, you can do it complaining a little bit. Lord, I do not like this. Complain, that's fine. At least take a step. Go ahead and tell him, say, Lord, I don't understand it. I don't get it. There's uncertainty, but I'm going I'm to trust you. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. If you will do that, I promise you, because God is not a liar, he will do everything he says he will do, plus some. And you'll get to say, I can't believe I get to do this. I just can't. Father in heaven, I pray that you would help us today to hear your heart, not only for the nations, but also for our neighbors in our city. God, I thank you for the privilege of being able to grow and to learn and to, to shepherd these people. Father, I, I'm excited about what you're doing in their life and in our life. But, Father, we need great faith. Father, we need great patience. We need great courage. Lord, we need to hear from you. Because you are the chief shepherd, the architect of your church. We ask these in Jesus' name. This morning, if you've not ever trusted Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do that. Can I just tell you, for God so loved you that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever, that's you, would believe in Him, you won't perish. That means die. But you'll have everlasting life. Will you trust Jesus today? If you're watching by Facebook or by Blab, or if you're just here, 
What are you waiting on? What are you waiting on? This morning for our time of invitation, I'm going to invite you to the table on both sides. I want you to to grab a a communion cup and then go back to your seat. And then towards the end of the time, we're going to take communion together. The small tray is gluten-free. The big tray is regular. So if you need gluten-free, that's the small tray. Father, I do pray that as we enter into this time of reflection and decision, God, I pray that you'll have your way inside of us and inside this place. Bind us together, Lord, in unity through your blood and through your body. We pray in Jesus' name.